Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Would Tramie be fighting it as hard if they were 15th in the league? Not for me, Clive. You know, you've got Sunderland, Portsmouth and Ipswich in our league now, in League One. They're massive clubs. Not for me, Clive. Because it will come back around, there will be something that will benefit other people as well. Not for me, Clive. The weekend is here and so are we with another episode of Not For Me Clive. I've got Ryan Pulford and Danny Reid in the virtual studio with me. How are we doing today, fellas? Yeah, full title. I always feel a bit weird when you say my second name, but not too bad, mate. How are you? It's just so you get a uh, get a bit of a mention on Twitter, you know, see uh, see a few more followers into the, uh, into the account. It's always helpful. Yeah, but then with followers, you probably get a load of stick as well, don't you? So trying to go under the radar. <laughs> and that that's it at, at Ryan Paul. <laughs> Danny, how are we doing? Yeah, not bad, mate. Um, still in the office at work, uh, gazing out onto the sunny strand in Liverpool. Is uh, yeah, it's nice, nice day. Can't complain, though. I'm sure I'll find something to complain about, as is my want. <laughs> well, we've had some football back this week, so hopefully, you haven't been too uh, downhearted. Um, what have we made of it so far? It's been a little bit weird, I think. You know, having it back, no fans there, no weird um, crowd noises. Sometimes not even like synced up with what's going on on the pitch. Just a big way when something goes on. Um, how we felt about it? It's been a bit weird for me. I've I've watched a few of the games, but I haven't been too bothered by missing them. And it, it they almost feel a bit like preseason friendlies. And now the other day I had City were on against Burnley. Um, at the same time, Northampton were playing um, against Cheltenham in the playoffs. And I must admit, I switched over to Northampton because it was a much better game, despite them both not having fans. Um, so, yeah, it's been a bit strange. I've enjoyed it being back just because I love football so much, but I can't say I'm overly enjoying what's been on offer. How about you, Dan? How are we feeling about it? Um... It's a difficult one. I'm in a similar boat to Ryan, to be completely honest. I haven't watched an enormous amount of it so far. I did watch Match of the Day Saturday night. That was nice. Um, so that, that I enjoyed that. I watched the derby. Didn't enjoy that. I don't think anyone did. <laughs> no, it was shit. Um, although, to be honest with you, I don't know what anyone else was expecting. The derbies at Goodison are always shit. Like, they're always crap. So I don't know what anyone was expecting, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, yeah, like Ryan, I'm kind of enjoying that it's back just because it's back and it just it feels a little bit more normal. What are, yeah. your, what are both of your views on this drinks break and five subs? Again, I, I sort of... I, I haven't got... Which is, which is probably not great considering we're on a show that we've created literally for our opinions. I don't really have an enormous amount of opinion on either things. Uh... I sort of don't really care. It feels like one of those things where I'm just a bit like... Uh, 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 do you know what I mean? People seem to be getting a little bit out of the pram about the fact that some grown men need a drink, which just seems a little bit odd. But there you go. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? The drinks break it gives a. It's been talked about like taking tempo away from teams and and giving advantages to ones who are under the caution. And you know, it, I think there could be a way of of working around it. But at the moment, I've, I've, you know, it's absolutely boiling this week. So I don't really, uh, I don't really disagree with it at the moment. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think you can, can you? On that answer, I don't think you can say we're gonna, if you want to drink, we're not going to let you have one because, <laughs> as you've just said, it's hot this week. We never normally have football in yeah. June and July, so you're playing at the height of summer. I, I, I'm like Danny; it doesn't. I'm not really. I haven't got much of an opinion on it, but. There are some people going a bit overboard with it, like, oh, they should be fit enough without a drink. You kind of like, it's it's like 25 to 30 degrees. They haven't played in months. Just let them have a drink and crack on. It's, it's hardly been free-flowing, attacking football anyway, has it? Yeah, exactly. And and speaking of tempo, as I mentioned before, uh, Sadio Mane got off to a flyer in the, <laughs> in the derby, didn't he? Uh, sprinting at the start when he was should have been taking a bit of a knee. Um, that was that was quite fun. Football's given us these hilarious moments, and and I think we've, we're starting to get a, a, a few more. And it's been nice to have some fresh ones back instead of going back to Premier League years. Um, Neil Mope, of of course, being in, one of the one of the headlines this week. Did you make any of that? Can I, 
Yes, I actually did. Funnily enough, um, my first opinion of the show. Um, personally, and I'm I, 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 as someone who has played centre forward before, I don't think he did anything wrong. I must admit, but what I think is the funniest thing about it is, is that Neil Mopay, who was a striker for a team who aren't doing particularly well this season, and he's a good player, but it's not like he's on forty goals. And at the end of the end of the game, he's happily just there being like, yeah, well, you know, it's Arsenal in it, so lol. Like, what are you going to do about it? And I just feel like a bit embarrassing that, isn't it, for Arsenal? It's embarrassing. Like, you think they've come back and, okay, we all know you look at the squad and you think it's not the greatest. But equally, you've got Neil Mope chipping off at you. It's not a good look. So it's ultimately, not- for me, I was just I'm like, Gwen Doozy. I was like, mate, come on. Like, what are you up to? But equally from that, Neil Mope was giving it a big one and did fall over like three times when he was getting like breathed on. So there is that element of it. It was all a little bit um, unedifying, wasn't it? But it was kind of handbags, wasn't it? The, the, what what I think it, it highlighted was, and it's been said for years, Arsenal's lack of leaders. Now it's took a 21-year-old there to... All right, he probably didn't go about it in the best way. But at first I thought, what's he doing? And now I'm looking back thinking, at least he tried to stand up for his teammates and the badge. That wouldn't have happened under Martin Keown or Tony Adams or Patrick Vieira. Gilberto Silva players would have been had someone by the throat. And I'm not saying that's right, but you knew you wouldn't mess with that Arsenal team. This Arsenal team is such a soft touch. And the fans are probably wanting more players to say, well, do you know what? I want to be, I want a horrible side. I don't want to be liked. And this Arsenal team, they just seem to be getting mugged off by everybody, don't they, really? To the point where their own fans are normally the ones moaning the most about and laughing most about the current crop of players. So I don't know what, on, on the challenge, I think it was a bit innocuous. I don't think he's intended to hurt him. It's all about the landing for me. Yes, he could have pulled out and maybe not put contact in there, but it's one of those scenarios where you can't win. You either you pulled out or you, you haven't fully gone for the ball and you're getting told you should be steaming into him. Or you steam into him and nine times out of ten he doesn't land how he lands. So I don't think it was a huge deal, but yeah, Arsenal seem to be fighting it out with the Brightons of this world as opposed to the, the Chelsea's and the Man United's of, of of ten years ago. Absolutely. I think they've you know it's they've fallen a long way down, haven't they? And you know, the great thing about the Premier League, it hasn't taken much time for it to get fully back in the swing. The game's not might be as good, but the stuff off the pitch is, is fantastic. Did anyone see Jose Mourinho's uh, press conference the other day with his weird calculator? No. Yeah. Didn't he say Didier Drogba scored like a billion goals in four seasons or something? <laughs> he said he scored 186 goals in four seasons. Spares had to come out and put a statement out, which is ridiculous in itself, uh, to <laughs> say that he was reading from the wrong column. <laughs> Do you know what I think this is highlighted, which you've just very aptly um, demonstrated there, Ant, is that what I think people are probably realising, because there's no fans at the game and because... What what comes with that is that the actual spectacle changes, so it becomes less of the sort of theatre product that the Premier League is, and it becomes more about what you know the actual sport itself. And what I think people are probably going to realise, and a lot of people probably have already realised, is that watching ninety minutes of actual football is a lot different than watching ninety minutes of a Sky Sports presented Premier League game, as people know it. Because there's a lot, it's all about the soap opera and the drama of it. And that's what people like. They like the characters, you know, they like the Mourinho's and, and people like that that kind of provide those storylines. I don't think people actually really like football that much, the majority of people. Because, yeah, it, because it, the, the, like, if they did, then everyone would be down at their, at their local Sunday league team, stood around the pitch every week watching the football, but they're not. They, they'd rather sit on Twitter and look at the fact that so-and-so unfollowed so-and-so, which means always oh, definitely leaving and going to so-and-so because he followed him on Instagram. People get an absolute joy out of that more than they do out of the actual football itself. And that's why we always end up discussing things like, you know, like Mourinho and people like that because it's the storylines. So I think one of the interesting things will be it 
people's relationship with with football has changed in terms of how they consume it. And I wonder if that will just become more apparent to people in so much as, oh, I'm, I'm not convinced I actually like football that much. I'm more like all the stuff that comes around it, which I'm not saying applies for us because we're obviously, I mean, we got the match every year, but we have said that, you know, it, it isn't the actual football itself that we miss as much as the experience of going the match. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think you, it's a good point that you raised, to be honest. I, I think the, the not going the match is, you know, it's, I'll be honest, it's it's hit hit me hard. It's, it's not easy to not see, you, see your friends every week in a place that you really enjoy. So that's been really difficult. But Premier League fans, Championship fans, League One, League Two, and I think the non-league's coming back soon. Those fans surely are happy. I mean, even if you are an Arsenal fan, you've got to be happy that football's back. There's something else out there to distract you from the the kind of cesspit that is the world at the moment. Um, you know, Ryan mentioned that Northampton game before. I actually watched the highlights of this yesterday. That fair goal was one of the funniest goals I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it was... Um... The second goal itself was actually quite funny as well. It was two amazing goals to to win a football match. Um, sort of on that, just following on from what Danny said and, and getting on to the Northampton game. What I would say as well is, and I don't, I wouldn't want people to think what we're saying is you have to be a lower league fan to enjoy football or be a proper fan. But I think what it has highlighted, which Danny touched on, is that football stripped back with no fans in the stadium, just watching it in this sanitised environment. And I know there are elements of play being a little bit different because maybe players don't want to invade other players' social space as much and psychologically it's quite difficult to, to just go back into the swing of things. For Premier League fans, as many of them, we love the clubs just as much as anyone. But um, once you remove that that winning aspect, it's funny how, how quickly people fall out of love with it. Um, so we've obviously just talked about Arsenal there. The second, they're not the Arsenal that they were. Or same with Man United to a degree. It's very easy to become very frustrated with football. So it's an interesting social point, really, that we all love football, but we love it so much more when your team's winning. Um, and maybe that a lot of these top clubs that are now going through difficult cycles aren't used to. Um, I know... Obviously, a lot of lower league fans, just because of the turbulent nature of being down in the lower league, it's very rarely that you're successful for numbers of years on end because by that account, you end up being either at the top end of the championship or in the Premier League if you're successful year on year. Um, so I think lower league fans probably have a different grounding to a lot of other Premier League fans um, just by the nature of every season does appear to be so different. Now, if I look at our own personal experience, we've gone from two back-to-back rele -back relegations to three playoff places to two promotions to relegate, well, being dumped out the league on points per game. It, it's so bizarre how how weird and wonderful lower leagues are. And I think that was all highlighted in that Northampton game. They were dead and buried after that first leg. Now, I know you probably don't have the same home and away advantages, if any, now um, in the playoffs, which is quite bizarre. You've got two pretty much neutral games so not often you'd see a 2-0 first leg defeat over 10 especially not away from home so it does show the impact of fans at all levels would Northampton have won 3-0 in front of a packed Wadden Road I don't know do you boys think they would have a packed Wadden Road seems like an oxymoron <laughs> but you know what I mean yeah I've just um I hadn't seen the highlights from, from that I've just watched them while you were talking the first one is very funny the second one is even funnier. And it's the same lad who scores both of them. And both yeah. times, he just looks so confused and excited. It's amazing. It looks like a kid on Christmas Day who's unwrapped a present that he didn't know he was getting and hadn't thought about, but is instantly joyful about it. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely you know, superb. Do you know what presents I unwrapped on Thursday morning? Come on. Nailed them. Nailed. No. <laughs> no, not this time, no. Neil Warnock back as Middlesbrough manager. Oh, what a treat. Oh, yeah. What a treat. I have heard, Ant, that you do a pretty mean Neil Warnock impression. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that right now. I'm too excited. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. We've had a couple of a couple of negatives there. A couple of negative Nancy's there. Um, one thing that I think is really positive that's worth highlighting 
and it's been highlighted quite a lot elsewhere but I think we've seen over the past few months and this, and the past few weeks as well footballers finally in a lot of cases maybe understanding the power of their voice and maybe understanding the weight that their contribution to things can have and this is not to say that the footballers haven't always been socially aware but perhaps feeling as though they've got the confidence in the platform the environment to to you know vocalize that they're socially aware i mean there's obviously been rashford with the with the school meals uh, henderson bringing players together with the with the raising the money for the nhs at the start of of lockdown we also had obviously ben may after the the quite I mean, I don't really know how to describe it. The 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 banner that was that was that was flown by a Burnley fan, but Ben Mee's reaction to that to instantly come out and condemn it, I thought was really impressive. And also a video that one of you two put in our WhatsApp group the other day of of Graham Sooness talking about the the whole Black Lives Matter issue and the racism in football and saying as a a, a, a white person maybe he needs to start to to look at things that he's done in his past or things that he's doing or not doing and ask some difficult questions of himself. And I think the most important thing that all the, 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 the Black Lives Matter stuff has raised, and I heard it on a, on another podcast where there was there was a, 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 a white fella, I can't remember it was, he was basically asking the question, what can we do? What can we do better, maybe? And I think Graham Sooners hit the nail on the head where he was just saying, question yourself, ask some difficult questions, ask stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable. So I just think that one of the, the, the really good things has been that, and, and I think for us three, I think I said this to Ryan the other day, I think footballers get a bit of a bad rep often for either A, not being particularly nice people or B, not being particularly intelligent. And from the processes that we've gone through in terms of speaking to footballers and people around the game, everyone's been really nice and there's been some really articulate, intelligent people that we've spoken to. And I think footballers have been able to demonstrate that maybe they're more intelligent and more socially aware than people were giving them credit for before. Where else I think they need credit is they've done it at a time when there's a lot going on at the moment. Um, I think we highlighted on our Twitter the two reports that came out recently. One was by the PFA, and I just want to mention some figures here. So the PFA spoke to 262 of its members between mid-May and uh, sorry, mid-April and mid-May, just to assess the impact that the crisis has had on them. And it found that 57 of those players, so 22%, felt depressed or had considered harming themselves. Now, if we just consider that 22% of the players asked had considered harming themselves, that is an alarming number for any walk of life in any society, walk of society or any sector that you work in, 22%. Now, there was also, um, further to that, they said that 72% um, admitted to feeling nervous or anxious. And what they were mainly worried about was their career or livelihood. So when we talk about football not being on and people saying, oh, we can survive without a bit of a football, it's not just us, it's, a, it's the players as well. Now, we also touched on the FIFA, FIFA Pro study, and that was a bit of a larger study. So that looked at 1,600 professional players. And that was conducted in a similar time frame. This was March to April, uh, so a little bit longer. And that discovered that 22% um, of female players, of which 468 were asked, 13%, sorry, start that again, 22% of female players had said they reported their symptoms consistent with depression, whereas the male players, only 13%. Reported symptoms consistent with depression. Now, to me, that doesn't tell me that women are necessarily suffering more. It tells us that it's quite obvious that men aren't fully being open with how they feel. Um, it also found that 18% of women and 16% of men reported markers of generalised anxiety. So this is this is a huge issue we've got at the moment now, and we're seeing it with every time a club releases a, a retained list that everyone seems to say from League Two downwards, until we know when what the state of affairs is and when we can have crowds back, we're not offering any contracts to players. Just just because... So when we were, were kind of planning for this, that was kind of where my mind was going with it as well, Ryan. And we were talking about this morning, weren't we, Ant, in terms of when are we actually going to be starting again in terms of being able to be in stadiums. 
and there's that they, they were discussing it, I think, this week, aren't they? And and you 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 sort of time frames are looking at either August, October, or next year. Now, if it's next year, then you've got a serious problem on your hands for the football league. I mean, just to give you some statistics that I was looking up yesterday, and they're not entirely accurate because some of them are predicated on whether people are going to be getting extensions and things like that, which aren't always entirely clear. But between like the Football League and non-league, there's anywhere up to a thousand players that are technically out of contract at the end of June. Wow. And it, and, and, and those numbers are big every year at the end of the season. But they're enhanced this year purely based on the fact of the scenario that we're in and the football league clubs and non-league clubs aren't going to be able to be in revenue anytime soon if the situation continues. And we've spoken about it before that one of the biggest anxiety triggers, if you look on any type of health-related, mental health-related website, you speak to any psychologist, any therapist, any psychotherapist, a doctor, anybody at all, is that one of the biggest things to tell you to avoid is do not put yourself in a position if you can avoid it where you're having issues with finances because it's just such a trigger for anxiety. And yeah. there are there are there are hundreds and maybe close to a thousand, as we said there, of potentially young men and men that are in that really high risk bracket for suicide in this country that are going to be put into a, a position where not just their short term livelihood, but both but their career as well is put in jeopardy. And I think that that's really concerning. And the worriest, wor most worrying thing for me, which I said to the pair of you this morning, was that we don't have, in my opinion, a strong enough governing body in the Football League, in the FA, to be able to alleviate those fears for players and be able to provide a platform that allows them to either continue with their career or find other employment if that's not going to be feasible in the short term. And that's my biggest concern with it, really. Did, do, do you? I assume you both are aware of the benevolent fund that the PFA have, which is yep. for players who fall into to financial adversity. Oh, go on, tell me about it. So, I have no idea. So essentially, the PFA basically have a fund, and a lot of unions will have it, or organisations that are set up to support professions. It's set up essentially for if you are a footballer and you go into financial adversity during your life, during your career, that there is a pot of money available basically to support people at that point. Now, my assumption would be is that it isn't set up for a thousand people to be unemployed, a thousand of its members to be unemployed. No, it won't be. And, yeah, and that's my concern. Who's as the as far as I'm aware, the FA, the EFL, the Premier League, UEFA, FIFA, the PFA, FIFA Pro, any of them, has anyone put their hand up and said, This is what we're doing to sort this, this is how we're going to sort it? No, everything's waiting to see what happens. It's always reactive and never preemptive. That's the problem. And that's one of the biggest problems, as we've said before, is that it's a ticking time on this. There is, you know, if football comes, football needs to return in October with supporters in the stadium to make football league and non league clubs financially viable and be able to make those players employable. And there's absolutely no indication that that's going to be the case. So what do we do? You just wait until you can. What are, what are all those people meant to do? What are all those footballers meant to do? It's kind of like they, oh, sorry. It's kind of like they've been retired early. To be yeah. honest, and I, I, I think that's one of the biggest issues that you get with with footballers when they actually retire at, at an age of 36, 37, 38. And um, I saw earlier today. I think Salford have, have closed their under 18s. I think. I think they were. Um, putting a lot of money into that, I think it was category four, and yeah. you know that's uh, a well-known uh, club for being in the media and stuff, and well-known for having a bit of money and good backing. And unfortunately, there's going to be academy players there who are going to have to try and find another club. Now they might be able to, and 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 like I think a lot of people are a bit unclear on what's going to happen. We could get to October. We could have could have fans back in and that that would be great to, to be able to have the country going to the game again and, and people appreciating the fact that hang on we actually need football um, you know there's a lot of people's jobs who rely on this and you know I, yeah I, I think we, we need football back I think if anything comes of this there's a, a bigger appreciation of sports because 
even just from an entertainment point of view, I'm not trawling through the telly watching Marvel films all the time. I, I want to see some live action. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't just keep going through the box sets. Well, I think the other thing, uh, the other thing as well that you raised there, Ant, which, to be honest with you, I've not even really considered. So, if you've got clubs that are having to cut corners and, and not cut corners, if they're going to have to make up some shortfalls somewhere, we saw it with our own club when we didn't, when Tranmere didn't get promoted the first season we were in the playoffs. We lost the academy, didn't we? Straight off the bat, we couldn't afford to keep the academy because we lost the funding that we had for it. And if you you think of the amount of conversations that we've had on this podcast with footballers. You get to 18, 19, 20, 21, and it doesn't happen for them. For whatever reason, the career just doesn't transpire. And they're then, at that point, potentially having to leave something that they've been basically working towards since they were eight, with very little tangible qualifications to be able to apply out in the real world in terms of getting jobs. And these players might now have to do that in an environment where we're in one of the worst recessions that this country has ever seen. And I just think football... As much as I, I do, there is a certain responsibility that comes on players. And we spoke with, with Robbie Simpson, which will be an episode that will be out in the next sort of few months or so, who runs a, an organisation called um, LAPS, um, which is basically trying to set up footballers with careers after their, their professional footballing career ends. And he did talk about the, the personal responsibility footballers have. But equally, they are in an environment where from a very, very young age, for a lot of them, everything is done for them. Everything is done for them, down to their, their, the clothes that they wear on a daily basis in terms of what they're wearing in work. And to expect them to be able to go out at 18, 19, without having any guidance and no support from their governing body is frightening, I think. Mm. And I think we may only be able to see the repercussions of this in 10, 15, 20 years' time. And I do think that it's a serious conversation that football needs to have with itself in how it treats the people that make up the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's something that's going to come up again in, in our interview on Monday with, with Mike Kinsella. And we'll have more on that later. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's a really interesting conversation to have. Football, what it gives us is amazing, but still that muddiness and unclearness to it. Um, just also as well, you know, football's come back. A lot of other sports are coming back. Cricket's kind of on the way back, but they're still trying to work out. Not so bothered about that one, mate. I won't yeah, <laughs> they're still trying to work out who's making the tea, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, but horse racing's back as well, and, and there's kind of like a, a bit of a similarity with horse racing and football because they're massive sports um, and they provide work for a lot of people. Uh, I think the town of Newmarket provides work. It's pretty much a, a, a horse racing community. It provides a, a, a ton of work. Um, so for that to come back, like we've seen, we had Royal Ascot the other week, um, was pretty special and it's, it, it must be really good for them uh, to be back and, and and doing what they love and, and doing their job and, and not having to worry uh, about making ends meet uh, and just getting back and, and, and being in what they love. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say on Salford, what was really sad about that, and you mentioned the good work Mike Kinsella is doing at Tramia, is Salford had actually accepted those kids onto the scholarship. Um, so they obviously didn't have an opportunity to enrol in like a, an average college or go to sixth form because they'd chosen Salford. And now they've been told today or yesterday by phone um, that it's no longer going ahead. I think they quoted £500,000 it's going to cost them to keep that academy open. Now, that's at the category they were at, so we don't fully know how it works, if they could have downsized to a little bit cheaper. But what you've got to say is there's got to be some social responsibility for Salford when they're spending the wages they're spending on the first-team squad. I'm not for one second saying they can't make business decisions that aren't in the best interest of that club. But if they're going to be handing out five, £6,000 a week contracts on crowds of 2000 a week and then shut the, the youth team or the college whatever it is at such short notice which is going to have such damaging effect on young lives then i think it's bad form if i'm being honest with you i really do now just in terms of i don't know why i'm being a bit of a figure man today but some other figures have come (laughs) up today around uh agent fees and i just wanted to highlight them because i think it it highlights the root cause of a lot of what's going on coronavirus aside football was in the sorry state anyway in my opinion and Corona has just been an excuse for clubs to not pay wages and to maybe even shut up shop. 
Um, it's almost been the dagger blow. So from February the first, two thousand and nineteen, to January the thirty first, two thousand and twenty. So essentially, the summer transfer window and the January transfer window of this year. The Premier League spent two hundred and sixty three million pounds on um, intermediary and agent fees. Do you know what, Ryan? Do you know what's so funny? You've mentioned that. I literally wrote down, so Timo Werner's obviously gone to Chelsea and that the deal's worth 50-odd million or what have you. His agent, do you know how much money his agent's earned out of that deal? He, you have much? a guess. Five million. And any advance on five? Uh, I'd go higher, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I'm going higher. I don't know, I'll go ten. Twelve million pound his agent is making out of that. Well, Liverpool... Now, Paid thirty million last year on agent fees, which would be the equivalent of every club in League One and League Two getting six hundred twenty-five thousand pound each, which would probably see them through. Now, not for one one second suggesting any team, Liverpool or anybody, should be paying and footing bills for other clubs. It's a bit like asking Nike or Adidas to pay your local corner shop out. Um, I'm not suggesting it at all, but it just highlights a disparity which is unsustainable. It really is because yeah. even the championship, sorry, Dan, one sec. The championship even spent 50 million on agent fees, whereas League One spent 3.9. So you can see the difference there um, yeah. in what is effectively Premier League Two. Sorry, what was you going to say? Well, what I was going to say, mate, was the other thing about it as well is, which I agree with that point about, you know, it shouldn't be expected on Premier League clubs to bail out um, football league clubs. But there was something that I mentioned to. Um, to, to, to you both recently about the amount of money that comes into the Football League in terms of where it gets distributed to and it basically almost the, the entirety of it goes to those clubs that get relegated in parachute payments. But one thing that I think is really interesting that needs to be remembered and the Premier League clubs would do well to remember it is that the Premier League is so wealthy and has so much money and interest globally and part of that and a big part of that is predicated on the football pyramid that exists in this country. So if you kill off the Football League, which they're going to end up doing if they don't step in and do something about it, then the the, the value of what the, what the league has to offer is diminished massively. Now, if those leagues have nothing to shout about and they don't really exist and there's no opportunity for them to compete, then your level of competition is diminished straight away. So my personal opinion is, is that whilst I agree, Football league clubs should be viable enough that they're able to sustain themselves. And it shouldn't just be on clubs to have to bail the clubs out. I do think the whole system needs to have a look at itself and think you're in danger of damaging the entire thing purely because you're just so obsessed with continually making money. I mean, like you That's say, the there, it's just ridiculous. Like, how is it, how, how on earth are we in a situation where? There could be up to 60 clubs that go out of business. We have a 1,000 players that might not have a job. And Timo Werner had his wages doubled from 4 million to 9 million in the same week. Like, how is nobody looking at that and going, this is fucking ridiculous, this. This is just stupid. This doesn't make any sense. And I think if you're the FA and you want a strong national team, you need to look at the national team at the moment and say... Nick Pope started at Charlton, Pickford, Sunderland, Henderson's had loan spells in the lower league, Harry Maguire, Chef United, Tyrone Mings, non-league, Danny Rose was at Leeds, Callum Wilson's had loan spells, as you said, Harry Kane, loan spells, James Madison was at Coventry, Chamberlain came through at Southampton when they were League One. A lot of the England national team is built Bill on... another one. Chilwell as well, yeah, is built on a lot of opportunity that's come from the Football League and it shouldn't be seen as being second best. It's the, almost the base that holds the pyramid up. Now, the product is the Premier League. We know that. We know it's great quality. It's probably the best league in the world. But it, it can't really exist without the other. But I don't yeah. think it's one of those things that they would realise until it was gone. Um, and, and that's the worry that, as you've just touched on, rightly so. And I do think this is a problem with level league clubs as well. That the sport and ambition is solely focused around money. So if you look at the League Two playoffs, which we touched on before, those clubs have said they want to end the season. Fair enough, it's a strategic vote and I can see why they've done it. I'm not going to hold it against them. But 75% of those teams in that playoffs are going to put on games 
for no reason because they're not going to get promoted at the end of it. So 75% of those teams are going to spend maybe a couple hundred grand hosting playoff games, traveling to Wembley, hotels and all those things. Now, again, there's no way around it because you want that one in four chance of getting promoted. But next season, when they look at that 150 grand or 200 grand hole in the budget and think, was that sensible? Then you gotta risk. You gotta weigh up what is more rewarding: being in League One for a, a year early or for a few years, or having a club that's existed in the fabric of the community for 120 years for another 120. And I don't think a lot of clubs are taking this seriously enough. Now, obviously, we don't have insights. We don't. We can't speak on behalf of other clubs. It's just our opinion. But it does seem like everyone's being so opportunist at the moment when really it needs to be a discussion where everybody's around the table together and everybody's saying, listen, we can't afford to pay these wages. We can't afford to have 95, 100% of our income going directly to wages. We can't afford to run our youth team. We can't afford to, to play games on a Sunday or whenever it may be. We can't afford to be in the EFL Cup with your under-23 squads. Football needs to have a long hard look at itself and realise what it wants to be and how it's gonna how it's gonna do it, essentially. And there's just no planning. The book stops with the AFL and the FA for me. Well that's it. There's no for the football league, there isn't anybody protecting the clubs. There's just nobody that's that, that's gonna that, that's protecting. And we saw that with Berry. You know, the the, the fit and proper person's text. And I understand that these are companies and businesses and privately owned companies and it's very difficult for a governing body to step in if someone's going to be buying a business but if the regulation was done properly if the regulation was done better and that the clubs were looked after properly i mean the thing is it's it's all well and good you're sitting there going oh well, it's only a football team or you know uh you know it, it's only this or it's only that but we've already seen that the impact that these type of things can have on communities and individuals in terms of and for all mental health is 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 our core topic but it expands to so many other things and it goes back to lots of the stuff we spoke about with Dan Parnell in terms of public health and community functions. A lot of these football clubs, whether you like it or not, are the centre of their community and, and it's, they're really important institutions and to just let them go by the wayside has such a damaging effect on the environment around it and that goes to people's mental health massively particularly at a time like this when people need stuff to hold on to and people need things to, to keep them occupied. And I just have absolutely no faith whatsoever in any of the governing bodies and being able to look after that. Hi, my name's Matt Piper and welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? Hi, I'm Thomas Rongen. Welcome to Men Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? My name's Chris Iwillimo. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? So welcome back to Not For Me Clive. Um, we've got a couple of questions uh, for Danny and Ryan, who are eagerly awaiting them. Um, obviously, we've had a, we had a couple of replies on Twitter to a, a, a tweet we put out today. Um, so the first question, uh, I'm going to ask the pair of you. Uh, don't jump in at the same time. Um, the FA Cup, who's going to win it? You know, that's back this weekend. We love the FA Cup. It's going to be a bit weird in the summer, but, you know, the FA Cup, will it still have its magic? I'll let you go first, Ryan. Um, so what I'll say is, are Man City still in it? Yes. <laughs> then I am going to say Man City are going to win it. I feel like they've just come back into this really seamless. And I think all the regs are going to be in the Champions League basket and FA Cup will be followed behind that. Um, obviously picked up a few injuries this week, but if not, then Man United probably have a strong chance as well, just because I think always um, oh, got them firing on all cylinders at the moment. And He's had to prove himself the whole time, Ollian. Obviously, Champions League football would be nice for them, but I do think winning the FA Cup would certainly maybe protect his future going into next season a bit more and, and sort of cement his the faith in him with the fans as well, to a degree. I know he's a bit of a crowd favourite, but I'm not too sure if people are getting a bit 
tired of the, the draws and lacklustre performances. But um, I think if they can get Champions League and an FA Cup win, it'd be seen as a success. Are you calling him Ollie because you don't want to say Solskjaer? Well, I've got a bad ulcer at the front of my lip, which people can probably um, <laughs> hear through me talking. I know I've been calling it uh, an Ollie Gunnar Ulcer this past week. <laughs> which is probably a terrible joke, but it's just a, a, quite a long word, isn't it? <laughs> which I'm not great with long words. So I'm just <laughs> make it sound like with me. Danny, who's going to win the FA Cup then? Obviously, Ryan's plumping, you know, for Man City or Man United. City, by the way, against Newcastle this weekend. Well, will you, they you, will you, they beat Steve Bruce's? Uh, well, this Tacticos? is this is the dilemma, isn't it? And I mean, as soon as 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 Ryan's gone for City. My mind is instantly thinking it's a tough tie at Newcastle, though, isn't it? But what's you know, your body saying? I mean, can I can I bet against Steve Bruce? I oh, didn't. It would do be it, against my better judgment. So I, do you know what? I'm going to go the tune. You going the tune for the cup? Yeah, I mean, long suffering fans, long suffering, and and you know, we we have a mate, Matty. We'll give him a shout out. He's a he's a Newcastle fan, born and bred from. Head. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Matty's a Newcastle fan. I'd love to see the smile on his little face if Newcastle were to bring the cup home. <laughs> I mean, not home to where Matty lives, because that's Clawton Village, but home to Newcastle. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, if anyone else wants Matty's address, we can just DM you if you want. Um... <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll just tweet it out. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got your, your FA Cup predictions in. Obviously, we've got the playoffs. We mentioned them before. League 2. Northampton versus Exeter. Exeter. There we go. Um, who are we thinking there? Do you know what? I think just simply based on the comeback and the momentum, I'm going to go with Northampton. I think I'm right in thinking that they both play three at the back normally. So it'll be quite interesting because Cheltenham played three at the back as well. So Pep Guardiola was EFL. All these tacticians. No longer is it just four four two in League Two and League One. So, yeah, it'll be quite interesting tactically. And um, I just think Northampton, from what I've seen, have a little bit more about them. But should be a good game that, and two teams probably good enough to go up and stay up. Danny, how we think? How we feeling on this Northampton? I'll be completely honest with you. I, I, I proper couldn't give a shit. Oh, I really don't wow. care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Exeter just because if we if we're allowed to go to games next year, Northampton's closer to us. So I, I'll go Exeter. Okay, vote with your uh, with your car there. That's that's good. Well, I don't you. actually own a car, so it'll be my girlfriend's car. I'm voting with Sophie's car. Excellent. <laughs> um, okay, so. League One, we've got a, we haven't started the playoffs yet, but who do we think is going to win that one? Don't give a shit about that either. <laughs> Come on now, play the game. A couple of big sides in there, Portsmouth, Fleetwood, Oxford. I can't remember the other one. Is it Wickham? I think they snuck in there somehow. Um, who, are we, who are we thinking? Who are we going for? I'd like to see Pompey go up. I've always liked Pompey. Um, not just because we had Luke Moore on, but Pompey are a proper football club, aren't they? Not that the others aren't, Fleetwood. But yeah, Pompey are a proper football club, aren't they? So yeah, I'll, I'll go Portsmouth. That fella with the bell as well. Oh yeah, be good. Any? Yeah, it'd be good to get him out of the league. I don't want to hear him next time. Uh, Ryan, who are we going for? What's quite interesting is Portsmouth and Oxford will probably be people's favourites, but they play each other. So you're going to see a Wickham over Fleetwood in the final. <clears throat> I don't think Wickham will do it, but I've got a sneaky feeling Fleetwood could. Um, quite well drilled and got some good individual players. I just, yeah, I, I can't say it's hard, isn't it? Because I just haven't seen them play in months. So I'm going to go Fleetwood, and I'm not really sure why. I was going to go Oxford, but I'm going to go Fleetwood. Joey Barton's Cod Army, the Cod Father for promotion. Yeah, that's uh, so we saw the championship come back. Leeds could be on a bit of a wobble. Wait, wait, wait. Things look a bit precarious there. Do we think they'll go up? Do we think they'll get automatic? Yes. I said this to uh, I said this to one of you the other day. Leeds would have gone up last season and be well up by now if they had a number nine who could score 25, 30 goals. It's that simple. Patrick Bamford's a great footballer. Probably probably a great lad, if you're listening, Patrick. 
get in touch, <laughs> come on the show. Um, but yeah, no, he, he's every time I watch Leeds, all they do is have the ball, look really good, win it back, set up Bamford, and he just about doesn't score. He just seems to be just reaching for stuff, not quite getting the, not quite getting on the end of crosses. So I I, I think uh, I think Leeds will get over the line, mainly because the team that's gonna that, that would be there to catch them if they were to slip up is Fulham, and I just I don't trust. Or Brentford. Yeah, or Brentford. Very true. Brentford won won away at Fulham if it if it's still classed as an away game, and they they look really good at the moment. Brentford. I think Leeds will do it. What I think is quite funny is because of the history of Leeds and what happened, people forget that prior to the break, I think they'd won five five on the spin and I don't think they conceded a goal in that time. They've come back and they've got beat 2-0 away to Cardiff, which could happen to anyone. And then all of a sudden, everybody's gone, oh, Leeds are going to slip up as normal, but I think we need to calm down. It's been one game back, the seven points clear. The only thing I would say is this Saturday they play four. So next week, next week they could only be four points ahead of them as opposed to that seven if I've got that right. So that is right. I'm confident he will go up. There is that to consider. So maybe next week I'd change my tune if it turns out Fulham went there and beat them. Um, Obviously the FA Cup's back. The FA Cup has given us a a lifetime of, of great memories and great goals. But I want to know, what is your favourite FA Cup goal? Hmm. Are we are we allowed to choose a Tramia one or should we go for a non-Tramia one? Uh, choose what, what one your favourite one is, I suppose. <laughs> mm. I suppose if, if I had to pick one that was non-Tramia, then the Trevor Sinclair bicycle kick sticks out. Pretty sure that was an FA Cup goal uh, for QPR. And that was just a ridiculous goal. So I'm just going to go with that. Danny? Um, I'll tell you what I'll go for. And it's a little bit little bit of a random one. But I just... It's one of those, it's one of those goals. And it's by a player who I, I've got a lot of time for. It's one of those goals where when you, when you watched it live, he just went, oh, fucking hell. Like one of them. Was, <laughs> I just sound like someone's um, mum. Did he age rock best? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Um, it was did he age rock best for Chelsea against Tottenham. I, I think it's the semi final. And he, he, he takes a long, long ball forward on the chest, rolls William Gallas, and then just absolutely levers it into the top corner past there. I think Carlo Cudicini, which is a uh, quite a satisfying name to say. But yeah, Didier Drogba's volley. He had a bit of a knack of scoring at, at Wembley for Chelsea. But that was a that was a proper. You were sitting there. Anyway, oh fucking hell! <laughs> so yeah, Didier Drogba. Uh, and what about you? What what what's your favourite FA Cup goal, mate? I think my favourite FA Cup goal. It's quite a. Quite a weird one. It'll be a trammy one. Um, I think we played Swansea in the fifth round or the fourth round of the FA Cup. And uh, the only reason I remember this, the only reason I went to the game is because my mum took me. Uh, I think Ian Hume scored an absolute screamer. He cut in from the, from the right-hand side and just pinged it in the top corner. And uh, I think I fell in love with him ever since. Um, but in terms of... That the was the game where Lee Trundle was wearing the, the face... Mask, yeah, wasn't he? yeah, Lee Swansea fans were wearing little versions of it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was quite funny. Uh, seeing someone rock up in a in a mask and play football. Uh, Used to it now, though, aren't we? <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think the, the the best one I I think I ever well I've ever seen. It has to be that Ryan Giggs one. It's just unbelievably good. Uh, every time you watch it, it doesn't get any worse. The only thing you can think of is Patrick Vieira should have saved him down but is this the, the FA Cup semi-final one against oh, yeah. Arsenal yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be controversially and not just for the sake of it I think it's an overrated goal oh no no the, the celebration the defending the, the, is absolutely the chest there how many oh that bit's fantastic I've got no issue with that the goal itself the defending from a team of Arsenal standard is absolutely appalling they just I, I, all fall over. It's ridiculous. He's but too quick the, yeah, for, it. for, the, 
I'll let you off for the, for the choice because of the chest there. Chest there, superb. <laughs> James Chester. Oh. Right, so that's all we got time for today. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, we've got another episode out on Monday. We've got our interview with Mike Kinsella. Um, they'll be in the usual places. A really interesting listen. A really great guy, Mike. Um, and he's 100% one of my favourite um, favorite guests we've had on. So you can find us on Twitter, which is at Markin underscore man. Uh, make sure to use the hashtag, where's the talking lads? All our episodes, as Anne said, are in all the usual places. If you are listening to us in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever, give us a like, give us a subscribe. It just helps with trying to promote the pod and get, get people listening. Um, we've also got a couple of videos on our YouTube channel, so same with that. Give it a like, give it a subscribe. Just search for Man Marking Podcast in YouTube. There's one with a little clip from Kevin Cowley's episode and same from Jamie Kjordan's. And just before we go, on behalf of everyone at Man Marking, we, we do just want to um, send our condolences to um, the late William Treadwell, um, who unfortunately lost his life this week. Um, famously known for winning on Mon Moan in the 2009 Grand National at 100 to 1. Um, William was somebody who's in the past spoken about his struggles with mental health, um, especially with the BBC interview he did in 2016, where he, he opened up about feeling depressed and also struggling with concussion caused by a fall. Um, so, yeah, while we do focus on football a lot, um, the whole sporting world, I think, was rocked a little bit this week with this news. And for everything we're trying to achieve, I think it's important we rec- recognise his his death and um yeah that's that's really sad news this week. So thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Seldom have so many horses had such a great chance of victory in the Grand National this close to the finish. But it is my will and Ruby Walsh who have now gone to the lead. State of play on the outside. On the inside offshore account is there. Comply or die. Priest Leap is staying on. Artia towards the wide outside as they go towards the second from home. And it was just my will who had the lead. There was a mistake there by offshore account as they race now down towards the final fence in the Grand National comply or die with Mon Moan on the inside my will the red sleeves towards the near side state of play these were the first four and it was comply or die and Timmy Murphy who jumped the lead over Mon Moan in second state of play in third my will is in fourth snowy morning is now in fifth place followed by big fella thanks as they race on now towards the elbow and it's now Mon Moan who has taken over the lead for Liam Treadwell on his first Grand National ride he's gone clear now by six or seven lengths and going away from comply or die my will and state of play and racing now with just a hundred yards to go a first ride in the grand national is a winning ride for liam treadwell venetia williams trains monome to win the national comply or die was second my will was third state of play was fourth